welcome back to the True Craft Podcast. We're back with another edition of our friends at SBS series. Today's industry expert specializes in brewery branding, sales, distribution management, and much more. Um, our guest today is Julie Rhodes, the founder of Not Your Hobby Marketing Solutions out of Broomfield, Colorado. She gives us some great insight into distribution, content marketing, and outside sales. Before we get to the episode, a quick heads up that we will be taking a break for December along with the week of Thanksgiving, but we'll be right back with season four in January. All right, that's enough for me. Let's get to the episode. They, they might come for the beer, but then they, they stay for the food. Both of us were like, I'm going to own a brewery someday, starting at like 18 years old. There's no time in my life that I didn't think, oh, this would be a good time for a beer. <laughs> All right. Welcome, Julie. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You are welcome. Uh, for everyone listening, Julie Rhodes is joining me today from Not Your Hobby Marketing. Did I say that right? Yes. You said that nice. right. Yes. Awesome. And you're located in Denver, right? Uh, right outside. Yeah, close enough. Right outside of Denver and Broomfield, Colorado. I always tell people I'm I get the best of Boulder and Denver because I'm right smack in between the two of them. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's not bad. That's really <laughs> beautiful. So yes. you're between Denver and Boulder. I would say one of the epicenters of craft beer today. What's the scene like in post-COVID? Are a lot of places open? Are they coming back? I know we were just there for the CBC and Denver was hopping. Yeah, it is. No, we... um. This luckily the the state as a whole and our governor has been very smart about the decisions that they've made. And I think um, the support of some of the local um, associations and establishments, especially like the Colorado Restaurant Association, mm -hmm. they've done really great things for the communities. There's lots of resources. I mean, there could always be more. Yes. You know, but um, I think our reopening went really well. Um, there's no restrictions right now, full capacity, um, mask policies are up to the individual locations, uh, proof of vaccination, stuff like that. There's no mandates for anything for that statewide, but, um, I don't know, we're doing pretty well, but I, I say that with a little bit of reserve because it's about to start snowing here pretty mm -hmm. much at any given moment. Um, it's already snowed in the mountains. So, you know, the, the glory days of patio season, it's quickly coming to an end. And right. the reality is starting to set in that, um, you know, you don't want to cram that many people inside of your establishment, even if there aren't any restrictions in place. A lot of people don't feel comfortable with that. So uh, we'll see where it goes. I think we're going to see a resurgence of domes and tents and, right. you know, heaters, a run on outside heaters and things like that pretty soon. Yeah. So for all the listeners, give us a little background because we've known each other for probably four or five years now, right? Mm -hmm. We've yeah. spoken on and off for, for a while now. And I admire the work that you do. I follow you on all your social. I love your emails. Tell us about Not Your Hobby Marketing and how you got started. Well, thank you. I love I love to hear when people actually read my emails because I'm like, <laughs> I do. Um so I, the bulk of my career was spent on supplier side sales, um, uh, also doing uh, distributor management as well um, for a couple of pretty large uh, import companies. Um, so not only was I 
managing different states um, as far as sales went, but um, I was also managing, I think the fewest number of breweries that I had at one time that I was representing was seven. Mm. Um, so it's like having seven sales rep jobs at the same time, um, which is interesting. It teaches you how to multitask, you know, which is a good thing. So yeah. uh, before that I was service industry for a very, very long time. So that's how I um, got my, uh, foot in the door with food and beverage. Um, I have a BA in marketing. Um, I came up in the industry at a time where people didn't have marketing personnel. So it was always like, well, Julie's got a degree in marketing, just give her the Facebook page. So I wound up running a lot of international brewery, uh, social media campaigns just in the background, very quietly. Um, so yeah, about three years ago, um, I branched off and, um, decided to start my own business. I, I wanted to get out of the corporate world. Um, I love teaching. That is totally my jam. I, I adore it. And so I thought, how can I take all this really weird, like niche, you know, industry knowledge that I have and um, use it to my advantage. Um, mm -hmm. And so not your hobby marketing solutions was born. Uh, I always tell people, if you have customers, you have a business, not a home brewing hobby anymore. Let's treat, treat it as such. Um, and that's the approach that I take with people. So I, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, I do specialty workshops. I teach webinars. Um, I have a digital learning library where people can take online courses. And uh, there's three lanes that I stay in, and that is um, outside sales optimization, um, digital marketing optimization, and then also distribution management. So that's me in a nutshell. Okay. I'm writing this stuff down. Digital marketing and distribution management. Okay. We're going to get to back to those three, but I'm very curious, what styles of beer were you importing roughly seven years ago? Oh, um, lots of loggers. Yeah. Tons of loggers. I lived in logger land. I'm still a logger gal. Honestly, mm -hmm. I can't get away from it. Um, lots of Hefeweizens, you know, things yep. like that. I had a really good Kolsch. Um, then I moved on to different countries. So, uh, Lambics, um, Trappist, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Triples, doubles, quads for as scary as quads are. They're delicious. But <laughs> I'm actually a big fan of like inkles, like, uh, like singles. Uh, oh, really? Like, like what the monks drink. Yeah. I, I, maybe cause I'm getting a little bit older and like juggling mm -hmm. the kids and work. I'm like, what can I just like session? But like, I love Belgian yeast. Like I love that character. So yeah, yeah. that's, um, but I think my heart will always be with, um, like Dunkles and, um, I love a good pills. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it amazing to see where the industry has gone in the last seven years and kind of full circle ish. Yeah, definitely. I mean, trust me, I've, I've, I went through my IPA phases and I went through my, you know, super dark high ABV phases and stuff like that. But I always come back to basics. <laughs> right. Almost always. And I always felt like the import world was filled with basics. So I agree with you hundred percent. And I think the import world is about to change. I think mm -hmm. other countries are experimenting with different hops and different flavoring profiles and really picking up on the U S brewing style. And it'll be interesting to see which, which players kind of pop up in in the different continents to, yeah. to rise up. Yeah. I'm interested in Definitely. that. It's interesting to see how it's evolving, like from Europe to Australia, um, the Chinese craft market, um, things in Japan. Yeah. It's cool to see actually. Yeah. 
Definitely. Okay. So not your hobby marketing was born and it was born out of a need to say, look, you're not homebrewing anymore. You got to up your game and you have customers, whether they're tap room or wholesale, and you need to speak to those customers. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. It came from, um, you know, I kind of used my husband as a business model sort of, cause he was a brewer and he was like, I don't know anything about the sales side, Julie, like, don't talk to me about marketing, you know, stuff like that. But he was passionate about what he was doing and then taking a look at the market overall and seeing, you know, the majority of what the, we're almost at what, like 9,000 mm-hmm. craft breweries now. Um, the majority of those uh, organizations are small to medium size. And most of the time it's because they have a talent for uh, flavors and innovation and chemistry. But, you know, if you ask them for like a income statement, they're going to look at you like you have a third eyeball. So, you know, (laughs) it's um, more often than not, it was specializing in production as the main focus instead of specializing in business. Um, I know there's exceptions to the rule for that, but that seemed to be the majority of it. I cannot agree with you more (laughs) from my point of view and what I saw when I came into the industry, it was a lot of the the same stuff as you're, as you're describing. So passion projects, people really excited about making beer. And there was the outlier. There was the outlier that was very business conscious and then put beer second. My observation is, is the guys that ran hard and fast and figured it out later are doing really well right now. And the guys that really businessed the crap out of their brewery are not, are, are, I would say are lagging, are lagging, you know, decisions were made very slow trends were not jumped on. I mean, we're dealing with consumer products here and trends need to be followed in my opinion. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about the three areas of not your hobby marketing, because it's been a while since you and I've spoken. I kind of want an update uh, of your, of your involvement and what's going on. So outside sales first and, and, Around outside sales, I really want to discuss the ABP because we're rolling into ABP season. Yeah, I am uh, swimming in spreadsheets at this point, <sighs> and I can't even tell you how many hours I've logged on like VIP iDig at this point. I think I'm, I should get a kickback from that company, honestly, for <sighs> as much time as I spend on, on that platform during ABP season. So, yeah, out, outside sales. Um, the reason I started doing this, honestly, from the first place, because I never got training. I got booted out into the market. Mm-hmm. I got hired as a, I went from bartending to being a sales representative for like six breweries from Europe. And they were like, sink or swim, Julie. And I was like, yep. well, this can't be right. Right. Like these are big brands. Like you're, you're trusting me with like incremental income. And like, yeah. you just threw me out in the market. Um, I didn't know how to work with a distributor. I didn't know how to you know, I knew how to work with people, um, but I had to kind of train myself. Right. So, um, it was a lot of education a lot of research that I did on my own. And yes, you get a, you know, back then there wasn't as much of a community aspect of like helping each other out. So the other supplier reps were like, we're not going to teach you how to do that. You got to earn your stripes girl, you know? Um, so, you know, when I thought about teaching outside sales and like, wait a second, I have these really weird skills that I picked up along the way and I should share those with people. So things like, you know, utilizing your existing customer base or how to do strategic prospecting, um, how annoying is annoying or, you know, 
the balance between like being aggressive, but being present, um, gaining, you know, share of mind with your distributor. Right. And some of that, actually a ton of that does have to do with ABPs. The first ABP meeting that I did by myself was horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. Like I thought I was supposed to go in there with a cooler of beer and let people sample things and talk about how beer sales were really great. Let's sell some more. <laughs> and so I had no clue what I was doing, but over my tenure in the industry, I figured out there's a rhyme and reason to this, right? So you have a method for your madness. There needs to be an ABP deck. It needs to have relevant information to both parties. You've got to look backwards. You have to look forwards. You have to detail everything so that all the expectations are put out on the table. When you're dealing with distributors, you can't make assumptions. You'll just get eaten for breakfast. So, yeah. So most of the customers that I work with and being from the South, we are in a three-tier state where we have to choose a distributor. We can't self-distribute at all. And I've come up with a theory that I want to run by you. And the theory is if you, if you, the brewery are not within 10%, the top 10% of their craft portfolio, you're going to get left behind. Yeah. Um, I would have to really think about it on whether I've never really thought about the percentage, but yeah, that probably makes sense. Um, that was me for the majority of my career because imports, people were like, nobody wants to talk to the import lady craft is mm-hmm. going crazy. Like, are you kidding me? They're like, get to the back of the line. Right. right. Um, a concept that I like to teach is to be the most aggressive, least pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like where I live with distribution. And that is, you know, I'm going to be aggressive enough that you're paying attention to me, but I'm not going to be like angry, you know, sales, Julie, because I don't want to piss you off. And I do want to work with you as a partnership, but I've also got to defend my brand at the same time. And I do deserve representation. So it's a hard line to find. It's a hard balance. Got it. I I think I could talk about, and we're going to get to distributor management in a second, but I could ask you a million more questions around this, but back to, and I will, but back to my math, right? So if a distributor is dealing with 30 craft brands, top 10% is going to be three. I'm saying if you're not one of their top three brands, either in CEs or sales or whatever they're measuring, it's going to be a tough slug upstream. And that seems like a little, right? That seems like a a tiny amount, but I think... Mm -hmm. My experience is those numbers aren't that that far off. And the, the guys below that line really have to fight for any relevance. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, if you think about it in the context of like your average distributor sales rep, like mm-hmm. how many brands could they shove into a sales conversation with a buyer? Like feasibly mm-hmm. without the buyer being like, ah, what the hell is happening, right? Like you get the overwhelm of information. So yeah, the average sales conversation with a retail buyer, you talk about three brands, that's feasible, right? That's manageable. Like I think putting on my retail buyer hat, you know, I think five brands would probably push it in that conversation. I think one brand is too little. They aren't getting a lot accomplished, but yeah, like somewhere in there. So if you think about how large some of these distributor portfolios are, you're not making that like three to 10 cut. Right. I, it's difficult. It's very yep. difficult. 
do you prefer to work with breweries that self-distribute or use a distributor? Um, because of my background and my level of expertise with that, uh, distributing that work with wholesalers. Yeah. Just because, um, I spent so many years just fighting that uphill battle and learning Mm -hmm. how to kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, work the system, um, that I do like imparting that knowledge on as many people as I can, because it's a big pain point in our industry right now. I do work with self-distributing breweries, but I think that, um, I really excel when it comes to distributor relationships. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think self-distro is easier. I think self-distro is easier to execute even at, you know, 5,000 or 7,000 barrel mark. If someone on the team understands logistics and someone on the team understands the outside sales, I really feel that when you work with a distributor, it, like you said, it's painful. It's, it could be painful. Yeah. I, I think, um, honestly, I, I think every organization should self-distro first just to get a taste of it, you know, and get a taste of kind of how to DIY things so that you can scale up, um, to working with wholesalers and distributors so that you have a little bit of a idea of their business case, like their perspective of what they're dealing with in terms of like supply chain, logistics, like, how important things are like code dates and pricing levels and things like that. So I, I think it's a good experience for people to have if they can. Yep. I agree. 100%. All right. Let's shift to digital media. And I assume by that you mean digital marketing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I, I feel like marketing is too broad of a term. Someone probably should have told me that when I created my LLC, but we're kind of too late for that at this point. Sure. <laughs> Um, sometimes I get a lot of people that come to me with questions about tap handles and merch and stuff. I'm like, no, 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 I I'll send you somebody else. Um, no, I mainly deal with helping people optimize, um, their digital world. So, uh, website optimization, um, a lot of content, utilizing content marketing, improving their social media, um, you know, organic and paid content. I work with a lot more paid content these days than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, and then venturing a little bit into like e-commerce and DTC and stuff like that. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So the content marketing is exciting to me because there are very few brewery websites out there that have compelling content. Mm-hmm. It's the standard flair. It's the standard menu and, you know, I do a lot of writing and you do a lot of writing as well. And so I stress to my customers, what about more content writing or emails or, and they, they constantly push back and say, look, we're not in your service world, Chris, we're, we're selling a product. And I don't always agree with that because I follow some people in the payroll space and in the insurance space in the even consumer goods space that if I'm going to read your, if, if your content is compelling and easy to read and digest, I'm going to be a consumer. For sure. Yeah. No, I 100% disagree with whoever is telling you that. Okay. (laughs) I, I absolutely, I think content marketing is one of the easiest and most cost effective ways that craft breweries, even the most cash strapped, limited resource, nano Yep. brew pub, whatever, one barrel. I don't care what you're doing, right? 
No, it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of effort. That's it. And you can just feed that SEO machine and you're building brand awareness as you go along. And when you combine that into like a multi-channel strategy and you can cover different bases and reach people at different brand awareness levels on different channels, you'll find that you don't have to spend a lot of money. You can later when you start to scale, but to get started with content marketing is super easy because you know what we sit on in this industry is stories and interesting things that go on like canning lines and milling in and where what napkin you scribed your business plan on and what bar, you know, people want to hear that stuff. It's easy. Easy. Do you listen to Scott Galloway, Prof G? I don't. Podcast? Okay. He is a marketing professor at NYU. Love him to death. I listen to all his podcasts. He's he's big time, like huge, huge celebrity yeah. now. Yeah. And he is on this beating drum that you know Facebook and Instagram are probably since they're Facebook and Google. There are only two forms of digital media. We really need to, or they control ninety nine percent of it. We mm-hmm. really need to disband them. And I think your old school content marketing solves two problems. Number one, it gets, gets them money away from them and gets the stories across to the, the consumer. And number two, it, it just shares a journey with the team, right? It shares a journey with the, with the reader and and makes a connection, which mm-hmm. I think is going to facilitate word of mouth. And I think word of mouth has a lot of stock in it when you're trying to attract people to a tasting room, where you're trying to get people to buy beer on a shelf, Right. States have so many laws about what you can and can't put, what accounts you're in, what, but no law, no states have laws on what you can write, right? What, what the brewery yeah. can write on where. Yeah. So I think Super it's majorly powerful. untapped. Yeah. I think it's mm-hmm. majorly untapped. And I think it's also un, just totally underutilized. Right. I think, I think there's mm-hmm. so much more that can be done with, with content marketing. Yeah, no. And it's an owned asset. Like if you're talking about like blog, uh, writing and like, um, you know, providing people like video content and utilizing email marketing and even, you know, SMS, like text message marketing, you know what I mean? Like that's yours. Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can regulate the creativity factor on there. Um, you're not affected by what Zuckerberg wants to pull on a daily basis. You know, Um, I'm not telling people to get out of those channels. I teach them how to get into those channels, but you should have, you know, the eggs in the different baskets, right? Like just in case one ship goes down, you've got other backups. That's what exactly what Scott Galloway says. He says, I, in addition to my podcast, in addition to being a professor, I started an online university and where do I, market that online university online, where are the best places to market Google and Facebook. So I'm in it, even though I talk all sorts of shit about them, I'm in yeah. it. So exactly <laughs> your point. It's, um, it's yeah. Great. And it's, um, and it can be cost effective. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to start off with like all the bells and whistles, you know, you can start off with like the free MailChimp package, right. Just to get started and literally, you know, um, you, I, I'm sure you have a computer, you know, start mm-hmm. on Microsoft office or create a Google doc or something. Just start writing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. Absolutely. 
I love it. I could talk about this stuff all day long. I know, me too. I get on my soapbox about this. I just wrote an article last week about this called your Facebook page is not a website. And (laughs) it's, um, I was just trying to demonstrate my point. Like for all the people that went into panic mode two weeks ago when Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp shut down for about five hours. Right. You know, this is why you you do like omni-channel <laughs> marketing <laughs> just in case the big ship goes down, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So let's move on to the third service or area of expertise that you have, which is distributor management. Yes. And I started... And I, and I stopped myself because I had a hundred more questions that I was bucketing <laughs> into the outside sales category, but I will now move into distributor management. So I have a, I have my first question is, is a, is a hot topic, but I'm, I'm going to ask you, um, does your distributor sell? Some do, some don't. I'm going to give you a very like lawyer answer. It Do depends it. on, uh, it depends on who your distributor partner is. Um, and then that also begs the question, are you teaching them to sell? Yep. Have you jumped into that process? Like, cause I don't want to hear you complain about my distributor doesn't sell unless you've tried to teach them how to sell. Um, this, this is a big pet peeve with me is that people sell attributes and they don't sell benefits. And that, um, you know, think about your typical distributor sales rep, right? And how many brands that they typically have, right? And then they've got probably 100 to 150 accounts that they have on their des- uh, designated route. Um, let's say with like a mid-sized distributor, they're probably representing at least 30 or 40 brands, right? Yeah, easily. 20 to 40 brands easily. Um do you think they have time to research anything other than like ABV malt content, seasonal, when it's available, how much this costs, where it is in my mobility uh, device that I'm carrying around, right? Like they don't, they don't have time to do that. So um, you have distributors that are order takers, but it's your responsibility as a brand partner to turn them into salespeople. And I hate to say that. Do I wish it was different? Yeah. Do do I wish there was less competition out there? Sure. Okay. But then that means our industry isn't growing. You can't have both, right? right? Do you want less brands and your industry is stagnant? Or do you want our industry to keep growing? And that means we're going to have more brands in the market. So guess what? You got to do a little bit more work. That's just right. the way it is. You know, I, I would rather have growth in the craft beer space and have to do, you know, put in a little bit more elbow grease. Um, These distributors don't give as much time and attention to sales and selling techniques as they used to, because there's just too many brands and there's not enough time. There's just not enough bodies. There's, you know, so um, a method that I teach is like a little bit abnormal sales training. And again, this, it filters down, right? If you don't have a good sales rep that's not properly trained, they're not going to be able to train other people to sell your product. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to be able to do is to go into a distributor meeting and say, okay, we're not going to F around here and have like a a sampling party. Um, 
yeah, you can see what's in this beer, the style that it is, all the stats, right? The hard stats on a sales sheet. I'm going to hand that to you, but let's talk about where we're going to place this beer. Who are the people that are drinking this beer? What time of year do they drink the beer? What's the occasion in which they drink the beer? What's trending at these certain stores? What premise should I put it on? What which class of trade should it go to? Those are the details that you really need to know. Otherwise, you're just going to get blank stares. They're going to, their eyes are going to glaze over and they're just going to chunk your sales sheet into the stack with the 200 other ones that they have. Right. Julie, you're on fire. I love it. I love it. Thank <laughs> you. That's, that's, so here's what I, here's what I, here's what I really love why I love talking about you because your persona, your, your actual persona and your voice and your, marketing and your voice in your emails and the voice of the name of your company all are in sync. And Good, I'm it's on brand. Great. <laughs> yes, you are on brand, girl. Oh, it's always that's awesome. That's good. I mean, it's it probably comes from like decades of bartending and being in service industry where you just right. learn to like work with different people and you learn about tastes and you you learn about um uh buying habits of consumers. That's really, that's like a, I love working with sales reps that have been in the service industry. Cause I think they have such a great perspective of, uh, the psychology of humans just overall. Um, yeah. and that's my nerdy side is getting into like, um, skip the demographics, look at the psychographics of people, right? Like right, let's look, right. look at their buying habits and their trend preferences, um, their flavor profiles, the timing of when they're purchasing and things like that. And then you can really get down into, you know, um, working with your distributor partners and being able to say like, Hey, this is what we're noticing. Right. And we, this is why you, we want you to do action a, to get to point B mm-hmm. because we have something to back it up and it makes yep. sense. Yeah. I get extremely discouraged when I hear a brewery talk ill about their distributor partner, because I am in the firm position that dis- distributors do not sell distributors help you sell. They help you get your product from point A to point B. They help a little bit of awareness. They help, but so much has to come from the brewery and the brand and the values and the placements and the softballs. Everything you talked about, it was just like softball crush, softball crush, softball crush. (laughs) And that's what you're doing. You're giving the opportunity for the distributor just to crush softballs. And yeah, I just get really down in the dumps because you don't want to tell someone, Hey man, your director of sales isn't pulling their weight or you really haven't communicated to the distributor why you're relevant in that market. Or why did you want to go into that market and take out that the hometown hero, right? Why didn't you approach the distributor and come alongside the hometown hero and figure out what complementing brands you could, you could introduce to the, the market. So yeah, I just get sad. It is sad. It's a little discouraging, you know, because, um, you know, for, I know you're paying attention to this and I am, and it feels like an ulcer in the pit of my stomach, but distributor consolidation is a big issue mm-hmm. right now. And, um, what that means for producers is that there are less distributors to choose from right. out there. And if we're talking about how hard it is to get mind share at this point, how hard do you think it's going to be with further consolidation? And then you've also got to factor in like RTDs, FMBs, uh, spirit-based stuff that's infiltrating the beer distribution network. You know what that's going to do? It's going to make it harder 
for you to sell things with your distributor. And yes, your distributor does not technically sell for you. They're a logistics hub. Mm -hmm. Um, They're a consumer protection uh, cog in the three-tier wheel. You know, Um, it's, they were not originally designed to be a sales hub. You know, um, right, totally. basic as that is, like, that's not their intention. Um, so can you, and I know, I know you're a traction fan. Um, can you give them the tools that they need to do their job better? Yep. Like, can you be that piece of the puzzle? Right. Like, and what are you doing? It drives me crazy when I hear suppliers say, we're not selling as much as we want to. And we got a distributor this year. And I'm like, do you have a rep in the market? No. Right. Okay, well then, what do you expect to happen? <laughs> Are right. you crazy? That's not going to go in autopilot. You, yep. the, it's not. It's not a means to an end. It is. It's like outsourcing. You don't want to deal right. with logistics. Outsource it to a dis- distributor, but don't expect them to be your sales rep. I could not preach this if I tried, girl. This is amazing. You're good. <laughs> I, I knew I, you. I knew you let me get on my soapbox here. You know what? <laughs> I knew you were going to bring the heat today, and I and you have you have far exceeded my expectations. All right. So, where can we learn about not your hobby marketing? Where can okay. we learn more about you, your services, what social? Tell me. I I am all you know. I am all over social media oh, um, yeah. quite a bit. The I always tell people the best place to start is my website. Um, notyourhobbymarketing.com. It is, it's spelled how it's, it sounds. Um, and uh, I'm on Facebook at Not Your Hobby Marketing. Same on Instagram. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn as well. If anybody wants to join me over there. Um, I am on Twitter. Um, there's a lot of sarcasm that you get from me on Twitter. Imagine that. Uh, you, you can find me there. Um, a little bit of a different handle at Not Your Hobby MS. I'm going to hunt down the person that took not your hobby marketing on Twitter. Yeah. I don't know who you are. If you're listening to this, I'm coming for you. Cause it's my <laughs> handle. I, I tried to register with that. I was like, wait a second, who has this? Um, that, and I always tell people like, if you're curious about I, what I do, um, book a call with me, I'll talk to you for like 30 minutes. It's a no bullshit kind of no obligation. I'm not going to stick you on some, I, the, people are so afraid to get stuck on like a sales list or a robo call list. I'm like, I don't have time for that. I ain't got time for that. Me? I ain't got time for that girl. No way. I don't have time for that. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> so just talk to me. I, I'm either going to tell you that it, we're a good fit for each other, or I'm going to refer you out to somebody else. Sure. That's I crazy. love it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and I'm excited because once this episode airs, you're going to plaster SBS's name all over the webosphere. I am. I am. Yes. It's gonna, <laughs> it's going to be hashtagified and all the things. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. We haven't gotten into the social. We haven't gotten into the digital and I don't know if we will, but I I would like to start sharing my thoughts on Twitter. And I don't know why I don't cuz you know as you know I have lots of thoughts. Yes. <laughs> I just need to What is the first step? Just Opening up just the do app, it. And just, just do it. Yeah, rip the bandaid off. Just rip, just rip the bandaid off. Um, start following like a a small group of people that you know you like to read their stuff. Um, so, I started following a handful of my friends that are like journalists in the beer space, and Twitter has a really great algorithm um, for b- way better than uh, Facebook and Instagram do. Um, it's it's like 
uh, Amazon level algorithm for like suggesting like, Hey, do you Mm want to follow this person? Or based on these people, I found that any suggestion that they've given me, I'm like, yeah, follow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. And I, I actually, I didn't think I was going to like Twitter as much as I do, but I do. You just got to limit yourself on it because you'll get caught in the Twitter sphere. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I have a time limit on the Twitter app on my phone. So it shuts down after like two hours and then I just don't touch it till the next day. Yeah. That's great. It's like, yeah, it's just a rule. (laughs) So my problem with Twitter is, is I actually have, I don't know, 2,900 followers and I follow like 3,500 people all Mm -hmm. from the accounting space in a, from my previous life. So I actually spend more time searching. How do you purge all of your followers on Twitter and start from scratch again? And so I can really clear because all my feed is accounting, accounting software, AICPA, like stuff that is so not relevant to me these days. And every 50th post will be something from beer. So you got to, I would say, give it like, a good seven to 10 days of you doing like uh beer searches on there. It'll learn. It will. It'll learn. It will. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it, you got to give that. Um, it, this is what I tell people when they, when I'm teaching them about uh, social media advertising, um, you got to give it like, I, if you want to be safe, 10 to 14 days to, to give the algorithm a good, like juicy sample of like what you want to see. Cause it'll learn. I mean, it's yeah, AI, right. you know, and, um, and once it learns, man, it just starts, it starts firing after that. So yeah, go for Amazing. like a good two weeks straight and search up a bunch of beer hashtags. It'll start feeding you stuff after that. Okay. I'm going to try that. Well, Julie, thank you so much for joining us on small batch, uh, excuse me, the, the true craft podcast <laughs> and our friends of SBS series. I appreciate it very much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. This is a blast. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of true craft podcast links to cool information about our guests and other fun facts can be found in the show notes. The show is produced by Josh Barnhart and sponsored by Small Batch Standard. Small Batch Standard is the premier financial agency built to serve the craft brewing industry. We help craft breweries grow profits through outsourced accounting, tax compliance, and growth consulting. Visit SB Standard today to learn more and request a discovery call with the team. Peace out.